San Diego is one of the largest scientific research hubs in the country. So who are the intrepid scientists in search of discovery, pushing the frontiers of human knowledge? This is Rad Scientist. Where the scientist becomes the subject. I'm your host, Margot Wall. Today's Rad Scientist studies infectious diseases and sperm. We'll get into how those are connected later, but our story actually begins on a train in Thailand, where our scientist met a stranger who was a very good conversationalist. I'm Pascal Gagneux. I'm a Swiss-American zoologist who uh, works at uh, UC San Diego in the Department of Pathology. And what really made me decide to go into biology was a chance encounter with a a recently graduated ecologist from Australia whom I met on a train ride in Thailand where I was an exchange student. I was 17 at the time and we pretty much spent the whole night talking about what is ecology and after that train ride I decided that this is what I wanted to do. I don't even remember his name. (laughs) This discussion had a big impact on me. Not long after he graduated from college, Pascal picked up and moved over 3,000 miles from Switzerland to Africa. He had landed a dream job, working for a primatologist. His name is Christoph Bösch. It turns out he was looking for someone to run his field site in West Africa, which was a chimpanzee field site. I remember my advisor telling me, going to Africa, spending a year there will change your life. And he was right in many more ways than he probably even knew. My first day in the forest, Christoph just suggested that I, I go wander by myself and get an impression of, of the forest. He said, well, you just follow that old lumberjack road and you can, you'll meet some, you'll see some interesting things. You know, there's no shortages of, of big and dangerous snakes there. It's completely packed with primates, colobus monkeys and black and white colobus monkeys and Diana monkeys jumping in the trees and making a lot of noise fruit dropping whenever they jump around. Lots of unknown, mysterious noises from birds and other animals. And then I suddenly hear this bang, 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 bang. It sounded like a carpenter, somebody nailing something together. I started walking towards the noise. And there was a chimpanzee there. And he was cracking a, a very hard nut with a huge stone hammer. Pascal stood face to face with a chimp, the very species he came to Africa to study. And what he really needed from that chimp was hair. You see, he was interested in measuring the genetic diversity of the chimp population, and he couldn't ask the chimp, hey, can I just, uh, can I just get a lock of your gorgeous hair? So instead, when the chimps were out to play, he climbed into their nests, in the canopy, sometimes 150 feet up, to slyly get the goods. Yoink! He analyzed the DNA from the hair, and the results he found were startling. Chimpanzees, as a species, seem to retain more genetic diversity than all living humans, which was kind of paradoxical to think that 100,000 chimpanzees have more genetic variation than all living humans is ironic, to say the least. So just 100,000 chimps have more genetic diversity than the entire human species, all seven and a half billion of us. And Pascal wondered, why? It got me thinking about ways you could lose a lot of genetic diversity, and one obvious way would be diseases. 
things that kill almost everybody off. Could it be that the reason humans are the way they are is not that there was some kind of goal, but that we might just be a side effect of the regime of diseases we've had in the past? So that's a pretty big question, but to try to understand it, Pascal thinks small, like microscopic. Chimp and human cells are decorated with these tiny sugar molecules called sialic acids. But the sialic acids themselves differ in small ways that may have a huge impact on disease risk. Each one of your cells carries hundreds of millions of these sialic acid molecules. In a sense, the cell surface is like a nano rainforest. If you made yourself small enough that you sit on one of these outer leaflets of a membrane, you would be looking up at something like a 150-foot tree. Kind of like the trees Pascal used to climb in the jungle. On these cell surface trees, the branches would be the sialic acids. They're used for cell-to-cell communication, but they also act like a beacon for some not-so-welcome visitors. So it's kind of a, a telltale molecule to any virus or parasite. Like to malaria. There are some malaria strains that only infect chimps and some that only infect humans. Why is that? Well, it seems like chimp malaria is looking for one kind of sialic acid beacon and human malaria is looking for another kind. So maybe, maybe one deadly malaria strain looking for human sugars wiped out our population but left chimps unscathed. Remember, this is just one hypothesis for why chimp diversity is so much higher than human diversity. So malaria might use the sialic acid as a beacon to find host cells. But other diseases like gonorrhea and meningitis appear to use them as a way to evade the host immune system, like an invisibility cloak. They're basically saying, hey, I'm one of you. Let's hang out. It's all good. And there's one other thing that wants to appear friendly to its host. It's a tiny invader that acts a lot like a pathogen, but you might not think of it that way. There's many parallels between a pathogen and a sperm. I mean, I guess he's kind of right. Just like a pathogen, sperm enters a foreign host. And then it has to make it past an immune system bent on its destruction. So how does a sperm do it? Pascal asks you to take a moment to reflect. Think back when you were a sperm. 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 You are one of 200 million sperm that invade the reproductive tract. You get deposited in the vagina completely, its own ecosystem. Compared to what the sperm are used to, it's really acidic. And some of them won't survive. But then you have to make it to the cervix, which is a labyrinth. It has these really deep crypts and a lot of sperm gets stuck right there. You lucky few that find your way must leave your fallen brothers behind and make your way to the uterus, or as Pascal calls it. It's the killing zone for sperm. There are like 10 white blood cells from the female for each sperm. White blood cells are the battalion of the immune system, and they're ready to attack foreign invaders, including you, little sperm. Out of the 100 million sperm that make it to the uterus, only 20,000 will survive. And those survivors have to make a choice. Which oviduct will you head for? Only one will harbor an egg. One of them leads to the castle at the center of the labyrinth, and the other one leads to... Certain death! 
but a few hundred make it to the right side, to the oviduct where there was ovulation. And those are the promising ones. You're almost at the egg. However, you're not home free yet because the egg has one last defense. They have to etch their way through a huge layer of goop. So why does the female make it so difficult to fertilize her egg? The vast majority of sperm possibly, you know, carry completely disastrous mutations. And one way that females can improve the chance of the next generation is to kind of deploy a series of very stringent checkpoints. It would be a mixture between running the gauntlet and auditioning. Pascal's studies on sperm and infectious disease, conducted in a laboratory at UCSD, were inspired by his time in the jungle. Like his advisor told him, Africa would change his life. And it certainly inspired his choice of dwelling in a time of transition. Ironically, we now have been camping for the last four months because we're remodeling our house. His wife and two children are camping out in a Volkswagen van under a banana tree in their backyard. And around it, I built a platform of wood on which I put a kitchen with a sink and hot water and a stove and an oven. So we have an eight and a 10 year old girl. So I built them, them a little house, eight by 10 foot with a frame so that they have a secure dry place for their paperwork and their homework and their games and stuff. And then all their friends want to come and have play dates with them. <laughs> but the rest of the camp is just tarps and tents and there's a fire burning all the time. And you know, this is much plusher than Africa. That's it for this episode of Rad Scientist. At the end of each episode, there will be a short bit of radio play that will be different every time. I call it the Moment of Xenopus, named after the frog genus. So here it is, the first ever Moment of Xenopus. Techno battle. Let's rock. Immunoglobulins, T cell receptor maturation with VBG joining, somatic hypermutation, extratrophoplastic. Extravillous trophoblasts. This podcast is supported by the KPBS Explore Project, bringing local content to the radio. This episode was produced by me, Margot Wall. Grant Fisher is our audio mix master and theme song composer. Shayla Farzan is script editor. Logo by Kyle Fisher. At KPBS, Emily Jankowski is technical director. Melanie Drogseth is program coordinator. Jill Linder is programming manager. Nate John is innovation specialist. And John Decker is director of programming. Additional music was by Poddington Bear, Scott Graton, 24th Element, D. Smilez, and Metrostock 99. Also, a shout out to Jackie Sujiko and Daniel Potter for feedback on this episode. Hey, do you know a rad scientist? If so, email me at radscientistpod at gmail.com. And you can check me out on Twitter at RadScientistPod. Until next episode, stay rad.